Good morning, church. My name is Alan, if we haven't met. And the first Bible reading today comes from 1 Samuel, chapter 15, verses 1 to 23. This can be found on page 225 of the church Bibles. So King Saul was a king that the people of Israel wanted, but he had been a disaster so far. He was like them. He didn't obey God's word. So the prophet Samuel announced that his kingdom would not last. In chapter 14, we saw that his son Jonathan was a much better leader. He did trust God. Will Saul learn from his son Jonathan? Maybe God will give him a second chance. So that was an introduction to this passage that we're reading today. So that's 1 Samuel chapter 15, verses 1 to 23. Samuel said to Saul, I am the one the Lord sent to anoint you, king over his people, Israel. So listen now to the message from the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them as they came up from Egypt. Now go attack the Amalekites and totally destroy all that belongs to them. Do not spare them. Put to death men and women, children and infants, cattle and sheep, camels and donkeys. So Saul summoned the men and mustered them at Telem, 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 from Judah. Saul went to the city of Amalek and set an ambush in a ravine. Then he said to the Canaanites, Go away, leave the Amalekites, so that I do not destroy you along with them. For you showed kindness to all the Israelites when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites moved away from the Amalekites. Then Saul attacked the Amalekites all the way from Havilah to Shur, near the eastern border of Egypt. He took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive, and all his people he totally destroyed with a sword. But Saul and the army spared Agag and the best of the sheep and cattle, the fat calves and lambs, everything that was good. These they were unwilling to destroy completely, but everything that was despised and weak, they were totally destroyed. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel. I I regret that I have made Saul king, because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. Samuel was angry, and he cried out to the Lord all that night. Early in the morning, Samuel got up and went to meet Saul. But he was told, Saul has gone to Carmel, and he has set up a monument to his own honor, and has turned and gone on down to Gilgal. When Samuel reached him, Saul said, The Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. But Samuel said, What then is this bleating of sheep in my ears? What is this lowing of the cattle that I hear? Saul answered, The soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and the cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God, but we totally destroyed the rest. Enough, Samuel said to Saul. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Tell me, Saul replied. Samuel said, Although you were once more in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and he sent you on a mission, saying, 
Go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Malachites. Wage war against them until you have wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you not pounce on the plunder? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? But I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Malachites and brought back Agag, the king. The soldiers took sheep and cattle from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God, in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. But Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination, and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. morning, everyone. My name is Rebecca. Our second Bible reading today is from John chapter 2, starting at verse 23, and you can find that on page 861 in the Blue Bibles. John chapter 2, verse 23, and we'll be reading to chapter 3, verse 15. Now, while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, No one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him.
Thanks, Rebecca. Good morning, everyone. I'm James, and I firstly want to welcome two brand new members of our congregation. I'm sure you do. Uh, one is little Isaac in King's hands, who slipped in late last week, but we didn't get a chance to welcome him. And the other is little Mia uh, Ponaswami. Let's welcome them. <laughs> I'll quiz them on this sermon later. <laughs> I hope you've got page 861 open. Uh, that's the passage we're working through, Jesus and Nicodemus. There's room to take notes inside the info sheet if you want to do that. Uh, let's pray. Please pray with me and ask God's help. Father, we thank you that uh, in your kindness uh, you have provided an account so we can drop in on this amazing conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. Father, help us to understand that we might understand how to enter your kingdom. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Who enters God's kingdom and who doesn't? Who's in and who's out? It's hard to think of a more important question than that, isn't it? It determines where we spend eternity. How do you enter the kingdom? And yet we live in a culture where that question isn't important. Talk to your average friend, uh, relative, uh, and what will they say? Will they say, well, unless you're a really, really, really bad person, you'll be okay. God will forgive you. You're in. And then there's the religious part of our community. They think they're okay. I'm in the religious club. That's God's club, isn't it? I'm in. I'll be right. Today we see where God's word confronts our culture. But how about you? Are you confident that you've entered God's kingdom? If you are confident, what are you basing that confidence on? And if you're not confident... How can you become confident? Well, firstly, uh, we see from this passage that it only takes a miracle to enter the kingdom of God. A miracle is all it takes. Jesus, remember from last week, has just cleared the traders from the temple. Uh, such was his passion for insiders to meet God. Such was his passion for the glory of God among the nations. And the Jewish leaders say, well, what sign will you do to show you have the authority to do that? Jesus talks about the sign of his resurrection to come. But Jesus also did other signs, we're told, verse 23, in Jerusalem at that time, at the Passover time. And many people believed in him because of those signs. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them. Why is that? Because he could see into their hearts and he could see that their faith was faulty. Their faith, their faith was faulty because it was simply in Jesus the miracle worker. They had not yet come to believe in Jesus the saviour who died for their sins. And then along comes this man, Nicodemus, also with a faulty faith, notice. 
also believing in Jesus because of the signs, he says in verse 2. But Jesus sees straight through him as well, as he does with all of us. He knows that his faith is not saving faith. Nicodemus thinks that he knows about the kingdom of God. He says, verse 2, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. But Jesus knows that he knows nothing about the kingdom of God. So Jesus takes him right back to the very first question, kingdom of God 101, how do you enter the kingdom of God? Jesus says to him, verse 3, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again or born from above. Uh, can mean either. Nicodemus has no idea what Jesus is talking about, as we see from verse 4. Can I go back and be born again? So Jesus explains further, verse 5, Very, well I, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. And then verse 7 again, you, that's plural, you must be born again, not just you, Nicodemus, but anyone who wants to enter the kingdom of God must be born again or born from above. So, million dollar question, Eddie. What does it mean to be born again? What does it mean? to be born from above, or born of the Spirit, Jesus says in verse 8. Well, the clue is verse 5. Jesus talks about being born of the water and the Spirit. To someone who knew his Old Testament well, as Nicodemus should have, being Israel's teacher, uh, verse 10, that phrase, being born of water and the Spirit, should have rang massive bells. It should have been familiar. It should have brought this passage to mind from Ezekiel chapter 36 God says I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from your idols I will give you a new start and put a new spirit in you I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. To be born again is to be cleansed from our false worship. See, in our fallen state, we all worship things that are not God, maybe ourselves, our pleasure, our comfort or other so-called gods. In our fallen state, we worship things that are not God. And that is a massive betrayal to the living God, our creator. He alone is worthy of our worship and our praise. And so, in our fallen state, we are all dead guilty before God. We have nowhere to hide. To be born again is to be cleansed from that guilt. Praise God. Hallelujah. But it's more than that, according to Ezekiel. It's also to have our inner being renewed so that we want to praise, serve and obey God alone. 
It's cleansing and renewal. Far more than turning over a new leaf, trying to do better. Far more than becoming religious, I'm going to start going to church, I'm going to start reading my Bible, I'm going to start praying. Far, far more than anything like that. And it's something only God can do. Have a look at this passage. Who is the subject of every sentence in that passage? God says, I will sprinkle clean water on you. I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart. I will remove from you your heart. I will put my spirit. God is the subject of every sentence in that passage. He alone is able to cleanse and renew us. We are not capable of entering God's kingdom on our own. We need God's help. He must bring us in. That is the point of the birth analogy. See, when a baby is born, what effort does the baby put in? Zero. It's the mother who does all the work. Same with entering the kingdom of God. God does all the work. Why? Because he has to. We are incapable in our fallen state. We are rebels by nature, determined to go on being rebels. We are quite content in our own little kingdom, ruling ourselves. We don't want to be part of God's kingdom. And we are, in fact, in Satan's domination. And we can't escape. We are powerless. Only God can give birth to his children. That is the point of verse 6. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. Human beings can only give birth to other physical human beings. We cannot give birth to children of God, spiritual children. Only God can produce his children by the power of his spirit. And God gives the new birth to whomever he pleases. Verse 8. The wind, same word as spirit, the wind, stroke spirit, blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. The wind is beyond our control. Right? Ask the electricity generators. You can't rely on the wind turbines. We can't make the wind blow from any direction we like. Ask the firefighters. It's uncontrollable. It's unpredictable. Same with the Spirit of God. He cleanses and renews those it pleases him, those he chooses to cleanse and renew. He is the sovereign God. He is beyond our control. We don't know where, who he will choose. It only takes a miracle to enter the kingdom of God. Friends, this is why we must speak to everyone we come across about Jesus. We mustn't pick and choose and think, oh, this person, they, they seem perhaps a likely uh, person to become a Christian. I'll speak to them. Oh, but this person, no, 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 I, unlikely. I'll move past. No, no, no. We don't know. Uh, my my brother-in-law, Matt, uh, was an unlikely convert, I thought. 
he would not take anything seriously. He was always joking about everything, including God. But he did come to Christ. Three weeks before he died, it was, but he did come to Christ. We don't know who will come. That's why we need to speak to everyone we can. Secondly, the flip side of the first point, really, no one enters by their own effort or merit. If anyone could, it would have been Nicodemus. People like him. Nicodemus was a Pharisee, so he was fanatical about obeying God's laws. He was Israel's teacher, highly respected as a religious authority. He was a ruler of the Jews, a leader of God's chosen nation. He sat in Moses' seat. If anyone was qualified to enter the kingdom of God by his own credentials, it was Nicodemus. But what does Jesus say to him? In effect, Jesus said to him, it's shocking what Jesus says to him. He says, Nicodemus, all the good things you've done, all the laws you've obeyed, all the ways you've served leading God's people, all that counts for zero when it comes to entering the kingdom of God. You are on the same ground as a tax collector or a prostitute or a criminal. They bring as much as you to the table when it comes to entering the kingdom of God. That is zero. Wow, they're tough words for Nicodemus. See, our spiritual disease is much worse than we think. We think that turning over a new leaf will impress God. Oh, wow, look at James, he's, he's trying harder. I'll, I'll have him in my kingdom. No. no. We are so lost in our rebellion that nothing less than a radical spiritual heart surgery will do. That is what we need to save us and only God can do that. But how does this new birth come about? Does this mean all we can do is sit back and do nothing? Well, mysteriously, no. We must do something, in fact. We must believe. We must trust. Thirdly, the new birth comes about through faith in the real Jesus. The new birth comes about through faith in the real Jesus. Nicodemus's faith was in who? Jesus, the miracle worker. It was insufficient because Jesus is far more than a miracle worker. In fact, his miracles were signs pointing to who he really was. There were two things that Nicodemus had to learn about the real Jesus. The first one was that he reveals God because he's from God. He reveals God because he's from God. God. Jesus says in verse 11, Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. The plural there is a bit of a puzzle. Why do you think Jesus says we when he's speaking 
You'd think he'd say, I. I think he's having a dig at Nicodemus. Do you notice how Nicodemus did the same thing in verse 2? He says, we know that you are a teacher. I think trying to bolster his own standing. You know, I'm not just here on my own, Jesus. I'm speaking for a group of people. We know. A bit like people, you know, when they come and complain to you about something and they say, oh, this is not just me. I have a hundred friends who who have the same problem. We. (laughs) But I suspect also that Jesus is is sowing the truth in Nicodemus' mind that he and the Father are one. And that when he speaks, the Father speaks and the Spirit speaks. We in that sense. But putting that aside as to why Jesus says we, what Jesus is saying is that he can speak of the heavenly realities because his home is in heaven. That's where he's come from. He can speak with authority because that's where he's come from. He knows what he's talking about. He says, I'm testifying to what I've seen with my own eyes because I've come from heaven. From all eternity he was with the Father. Jesus is the expert on both what God is doing here and now in the world and the age to come. See verse 12. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? What are the earthly things and what are the heavenly things? Hard to be sure, but I think this is it. The earthly things are what Jesus has been talking about. How, Nicodemus, you can enter the kingdom of God here and now. The heavenly things are the age to come. Jesus is expert on both because he's the man from heaven. As verse 13 says, no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. No person on earth has ever gone into heaven, seen the heaven realities and then returned to tell us about it. No one has done that. But Jesus' home was in heaven from the beginning and he has come. He is the one who can speak authoritatively about the heavenly realities. Nicodemus's view of Jesus was far too small. He wasn't just a teacher sent by God. He was the Son of Man come from heaven. That's the first thing that Nicodemus needed to understand about Jesus. The second thing was that he was the one who must be lifted up the one who must be lifted up. Verse 14, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. When the Israelites wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, even though God had rescued them from slavery in Egypt, even though God provided for them every step of the way, what did they do? Grumbled, complained and whinged against God and Moses. And so at one point, you can read it in Numbers, God judged them by sending venomous snakes among them. They bit many and many died. 
and the Israelites cried out to God. They confessed their sins. They said to Moses, uh, pray for us. Ask God to remove these snakes. And God said to Moses, make a snake. Make a bronze snake. Stick it up on a pole. And then when any Israelite is bitten, if they look to the snake, then they will not die. They will be lived. They will live. And Jesus is saying here, I will be like that bronze snake. I must be lifted up. I must be. That is, it's God's plan that I be lifted up. Lifted up on the cross and lifted up from the grave to sit at God's right hand. And why would this be God's plan? What would God achieve? Well, verse 15, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Just like the people looking to the snake. If you will look to the Lord Jesus and trust in what he did on that cross, you'll be saved, saved from spiritual death brought to eternal life, relationship with God here and in eternity. And that trust in Christ is the sign that you've been born again, cleansed and renewed by God. If that is the genuine article in what Jesus did for you, that's the indication that you've been born again, cleansed and transformed by God. That is what Nicodemus needed to understand. It only takes a miracle to enter the kingdom of God. Human effort plays no part and entry is through faith in the Lord Jesus. And the wonderful thing is in this story is that Nicodemus did come to understand or at least he was well on the way to understanding. didn't happen straight away. Like with many people, it took a while, but it happened. We meet him again at the end of chapter 7 of John. The chief priests and all the fellow Pharisees have written off Jesus as a false Messiah. But Nicodemus, with great courage, speaks up and he says, Does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he's been doing? He wants Jesus to get a hearing. And then after Jesus has died, Nicodemus went with Joseph of Arimathea. This is in John chapter 19. And boldly went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus that they might give it a decent burial. Why would he do that? Only because he's come to have his faith fully in Jesus. Or he is very, very close. We never know who will come to put their faith in Jesus. Friends, let me finish with a few implications of all this. Uh, And firstly, friend, if you're not a believer here today, if you've come, you're investigating the Christian faith. Can I say that? It's just so wonderful. Uh, What does this mean for you? Well, tell God that you know you cannot enter his kingdom by anything you do. Give away any idea that you are worthy because of something you've done or someone you are. Give away that idea altogether. Give away the idea that you are somehow more worthy than anyone else to belong to God's kingdom. 
You must give that idea away. And ask God to open your eyes to see who Jesus really is. And keep considering Jesus. Keep coming along as we continue to work through John. Ask God to open your eyes to see the real Jesus. Do the Meet the Jesus course. Do Meet the Jesus, meet Jesus course. Keep reading the Bible for yourself. Keep discussing it with others. Keep asking God to reveal Jesus to you. But friend, if you're in that boat and you've done all that and you've got to the point where you are now convinced that Jesus is the Son of Man who reveals God and was lifted up for you, well then now the time has come for you to take that step of faith, to put your trust. And you simply do that by prayer, asking God to forgive you through Jesus and committing yourself to serve him as your Lord. Secondly, for those of us who are believers already, thank God that he chose you to draw you into his kingdom. That is a mercy that we will never understand fully, that he should choose us to enter his kingdom. And we need to remember that it was nothing to do with us, nothing to do with anything we'd done, nothing to do with who we were, no matter how impressive we were, how respected we were, in fact, those things are hindrances to entering the kingdom, if anything. But it was simply God's kindness to draw us into his kingdom. The words of the hymn we sometimes sing, Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Thirdly, let's keep on praying for the long shots, I call them. That is, you know our our non-Christian friends who we think, oh boy, <laughs> no way. These guys are so far from the kingdom. It's the best I can do to keep them on my prayer list. I've just given up hope. It's been 40 years and they're just as hard. No, 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 no. Keep them on the prayer list. We do not know who God Choose. I read a biography a couple of years ago of a lady named, believe it or not, Rosaria Champagne Butterfield. When she was 36, she was in a lesbian relationship. She was an associate professor in an American university teaching in the Centre for Women's Studies. Her view of the world was shaped by Freud, Marx and Darwin. And in her Unitarian Universalist church, she coordinated the Welcoming Committee which was the gay and lesbian advocacy group. Now there's someone you'd be expecting to become a Christian, isn't it? No. <laughs> if she was your friend, would you keep her on your prayer list? How long would you keep her on for? I don't know if I would. But she came to Christ. It's a wonderful story. Let's keep on praying for even the people we think most likely, most unlikely. We don't know who God will choose to work in. And for the same reason, finally, as I said before, speak to everyone if you get the chance. 
about Jesus, whomever we come across, including the religious people. It's a temptation, isn't it, with the religious people to think, oh, well, they should be okay. But we don't know that, do we? They could be born again, but they may not be, like Nicodemus. And so the charitable assumption is that they may not be. Don't assume someone is born again because they go to church or because they're religious. They may not be. We need to ask them where their trust lies. Is it in Jesus or is it in their religion? And when we do speak, we need to tell them what they need to hear, not what they want to hear. That is what I've learned, or one of the things I've learned from Jesus in this conversation. He did not tell Nicodemus what he wanted to hear. In fact, what Jesus had to say to Nicodemus would have been highly offensive. But he told Nicodemus what he needed to hear. You aren't in the kingdom, friend. You need God's work in your life to enter the kingdom. Who enters the kingdom? Those whom God draws. What is our part? To put our trust in Jesus. Let's pray. Please pray with me. Father, we pray for any amongst us here this morning, uh, not yet born again, still searching. Father, please in your mercy draw them to yourself. Reveal to them the true Jesus. Enable them to put their trust in him. Father, for those of us who are born again, how we thank you for your work in our life. And Father, we acknowledge that we are completely undeserving of it. Thank you for cleansing us and renewing us, bringing us from death to life. And Father, help us now to live out this new life that you have given us. Forgive us for when we go back to our old way of life. And Father, help us to pray for all we know who don't yet know you. And help us take every opportunity to speak to anyone for we do not know whom you will call. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.